Welcome to the Untoxicated Podcast. <laughs> well, I'm Sherry Salis, and that was my husband, Matt. We have questions about the impact of alcohol and addiction on relationships. If you have those kinds of questions, too, you're in the right place. Here we go. Merry Christmas, Sherry. Merry Christmas. Should we sing a duet Christmas no. song? No. no. If we were going to sing a duet Christmas song, what would it be? Baby, It's Cold Outside? I know that's your favorite. You call that the rape song? (laughs) Date rape song. The date rape song. The luring luring them in song. What is your favorite Christmas song? I don't really know. Could you make a little more noise over there? Sorry, I dropped something in the basket. Uh, I don't know. Right now, I'm kind of, I think it depends. Like I like the Ella Fitzgerald Christmas. Oh, all the Ellas Um, are great, aren't they? Well, we used to listen to it on CD, but um, now we, you know, stream it on Spotify because we have technologically advanced somewhat. But I think right now on that station that plays the Ella Fitzgerald station that we have, there is a, I don't know if it's Dean Martin's version or, but it's J-I-N, yeah. J-I-N-G-L-E Bells. Oh, there we did our Yeah, I like that. That one is the thing that's stuck in my head right now. Also, I worked at the preschool today and they're having a... Um, or not today, but we're recording this a little bit ahead. But yeah, you didn't work on Christmas yeah, morning. Yeah, I didn't work on. But like, so now I have like little kid songs stuck in my Ooh, head. Please don't share that. That's yeah. good. I'll just stick with the J and G L E. Well, J I N G L E. I know it's kind of it's hard to say fast. Yeah, and I was saying G I N G L, and then I'm like, no, that'd be Kingle Bells. Actually, our, ni- can start our 19-year-old son pointed that out, and he was like, that would be Gingle Bells. <laughs> that would be great. Something new. Yeah. We should go We should go caroling in the Gingle neighborhood. Bells. Gingle Bell. <laughs> King- yeah. Yeah. That'd be pretty funny. Mm-hmm. We uh, might not make any friends that way. No. Well, Christmas is here. Um, or perhaps it's after Christmas, because we're going to go ahead and publish this episode on Christmas Day, even though I don't expect... There to be maybe a great number of listeners. Usually our downloads on the day it drops are pretty high. But um, since that's a big holiday, I don't know, maybe conventional podcast wisdom, maybe the you know, the big the big time shows, maybe they're gonna drop on Tuesday instead or Wednesday instead of doing it on the holiday. But the reason I wanna go ahead and publish on the holiday is because even though maybe this won't reach the masses, but I know for uh, personal experience and just from because we know what a lot of our listeners are going through that Christmas can be a really stressful, hard, unpleasant day. And so let's go ahead and publish this episode on Christmas so that if someone is really having a hard time, they can uh, have something to listen to on Christmas Day. Um, we've had some hard Christmases. That is faux shizzle. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and we and really on the episode that we recorded last week, we talked about some of those hard times. We got into some of the specifics. Um, even though we are almost seven years into sobriety and have made a ton of progress in recovery, I think it's helped. I think, I don't know. Listeners, let us know. Maybe you have an opinion on this. But I think it's helpful to, to go in the Wayback Machine and relive some of the more challenging experiences we faced some of the more chaotic and traumatic alcohol alcoholism experiences because it just makes us 
relatable. And it's good for us, I think, too, to, to remember so that we don't lose sight of the progress we've made and how important sobriety is and how hard this whole thing is um, for other people. Helps keep the empathy bones strong to to just remember what it was like for us and not not get, you know... Too far away from it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's not like I'm reliving the past or want to relive the past. I think it just makes it easier to... When you look back at the past and the knowledge you have now, like you and I have now, and the learned experiences we've had now since like we can maybe help you know provide some insight as to why things are going the way they are in early sobriety um because we didn't understand it when we were in the thick of it either yeah for sure we just didn't understand why it wasn't getting better faster yeah we didn't understand oh my gosh someone in our echoes of recovery group this week said you Mm -hmm. can't make the corn grow faster Mm -hmm. and i was like Whoa. And she, this is a brilliant woman who always has just tremendous insights and, and she's just super wise. And so to have such a kind of, uh, I don't know, Midwestern kind of <laughs> something your, your grandma would say, you know, kind of a saying, I thought that was That's really maybe cool. maybe where they learned it. Could be. But yeah, you can't make the corn grow faster. You can't make the recovery process. I mean, you can definitely... Do a few things to uh, not stub your toes as many times as you and I did in the recovery process. But overall, it's just going to take time. Uh, let's see. What do I have in my little notes here? Um, so we are starting fresh, starting anew in the new year with new a new set of listener questions. So if you have a listener question for us, you won't get the response of a therapist or a licensed professional in any way, but you'll get... Me and you, a couple chuckleheads, commenting on uh, what our experience tells us about your situation. So if you have a situation you want to present to us, a question, um, please send that to matt at soberandunashamed.com. We love answering listener questions. And uh, we're just so if you've asked one and you haven't heard it answered, send it again. Send it again. Um, Because I feel like we've between combining questions that are similar on similar mm-hmm. topics, I feel like we've addressed most everything we've seen. But maybe I'm wrong. If we didn't address yours, send it again. Yeah, if we missed it. Are there any uh, categories that you're hoping to get listener questions on this year, Sherry? Can't. Do you want mm. some specific ones on, like, snoring? Uh. Or what's another good one? Mm. Um or overflowing recycling bins. Mm. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I can't think of any other. Yeah. One thing that I've been really curious about, though, and maybe this will spark a question for listeners, are most, like, I feel like in order to keep drinking like the way you did, Matt, on the weekends, I mean, I know because I lived with you, you didn't really get hangovers. Like, I wonder if we have anybody who's, like, partners get really bad hangovers, but they still keep drinking. Like, I mean, what is that going to be like? Sure Isn't that do. I know, but, like, what is that going to be like? What is that like to live with? Because I would always be like, gosh, I couldn't get up and drink the next day the way I drank if I felt this way every morning. Like, yeah, so it was one of the reasons you're not an alcoholic is because... It was, like, punitive. You were like, exactly, and you avoided it. You know, except for on rare occasions or special yeah. occasions. 
Yeah, I mean, and when I started hanging out with you in college and I was drinking more, oh, God, it was awful. So some of them I should be like, hey, you want to go out? I'm like, God, no, I can't. Like, I can't go out because your bunch was a drinker bunch. So, anyhow, I just wonder, like, what it's like to deal with somebody, like, in, you know, in the mornings. Because you were also a morning person. Yeah. But then you were gone because of our bakery most of the time. So you so, want people to ask you know, us just, a question about something that we didn't experience. No, like, meaning, like, I don't want them. I just want somebody to write in and talk to me about that. <laughs> so, yes, <laughs> don't just, send yeah. us a question. Send us a statement. Send us yeah, an send essay. Yeah, send us a statement. Short essay. And short we will essay read your essay. Like, like, just a couple of experiences. I mean, because you just mentioned snoring, and I'm like, yeah, you like, were not a, you didn't snore all that much, and if I did like you know rouse you a little bit you always rolled over and and moved so i don't have experience with that i want to thank you for bailing me out because even though you suggested something that's less of a question and more of an explanation to us which i appreciate um you bailed me out because my two ideas were full recycling bins and snoring that is super lame that well that's what you get from a chucklehead over here i'm glad i'm glad you jumped in and said oh my god i've got to shut him up and i'll throw something out there Good stuff. Good stuff. So, yeah, send us an essay. Because well, sometimes, you know, you, you might have a question, but you also, like, want to be, like, kind of being heard if you're not, like, especially if you're not yeah. in a program or in a community that, you know, just a short little statement or example. Well, and I do have a partial answer because <coughs> Kelly Miller, the addiction nutritionist who's been on the, the podcast twice, episode four was her first episode, and I highly recommend it if you haven't listened to it yet. She's great. Um, but she did teach me that there are a variety of kind of ways our bodies respond to alcoholism. Opioid mimicry is definitely what I experienced where I got that euphoric feeling. But there is an allergic reaction that people have. And that's those are the people that get the really bad hangovers, but they keep drinking anyway. Mm-hmm. So if you send us a little essay with a question in there about hangovers and and why your loved one keeps drinking despite the hangovers i will do a little a little bit i'm not gonna lie i'm not gonna overdo it here i'll do a little bit of research back into my notes from what Mm -hmm. kelly taught me and we can talk a little bit about opioid mimicry and allergic uh addiction Mm -hmm. good stuff yeah so that hangover but then there were people that there was a person we knew in college that if they drank like a type of liquor I don't remember exactly what it was, but they would get, like, breakout in hives, too. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So I wonder if anybody, like, also, you know, has any questions. Um, not that you get a medical answer, but... Yeah, you'll you just know. get us just throwing spitballs at the wall. But, yeah. Perhaps like, it'll be entertaining. It won't be educational, though, or, yeah. or really helpful at all. But maybe entertaining. Who knows? Yeah, we had a... I knew a guy, you knew him, too, that uh, smoked so much weed that if he ate any food in the morning, he would throw up immediately upon wow. ingesting food. Ugh, these toxins, they've got all kinds of fun stories associated with I know, with them. and we just keep going back to them, don't we? So, well, you and I Well, don't. I mean, societally. Yeah. Was, the we was a overarching societal. No, you're right. Societal. I'm even off of ice cream now after a couple-year love affair with a nightly bowl of ice cream that I felt I deserved. But the sugar, it caught up to me. I can't do that. And I could explain why, but that would be boring. So I'm not going to. Um, yeah, so listener questions, bring them our way. Matt at soberandunashamed.com. 
Thank you very much. Uh, also, got another favor to ask of our listeners. In January, we are going to put our first real full book, not just our ebooks, but our real full book, Sober Evolution, Evolve into Sobriety and Recover Your Alcoholic Marriage. But you can just look for the short title, Sober Evolution, all one word, run together. It's gonna, the Kindle version will be on sale for 99 cents in January. And I'm basically begging you to go buy a copy. You don't have to read it. You don't even have to download it. Like if you share, I know that's been an issue for you and me. We we share our one Kindle subscription or one Amazon subscription with all of our kids. Yeah. And when I was in early sobriety and trying to get sober, our kids were young and I kept downloading all these alcoholism books. And this was before we were open and honest and talked yeah. about it like this and We'd be like, oh, you know, here's a book about Thomas the Tank Engine right next to, like, you know. Um, Drinking a Love Affair. That's one of your favorites that you got early on. Caroline Dad, love that book, yeah. And read a lot. But some of them even had, like, curse words in the title. and um, But, so, yeah. Uh, so you don't even have to download it. You don't, I don't know. You can buy it and just never download it. So you're basically donating a dollar to our cause, to our nonprofit profit to our um well i guess the money doesn't technically go to the nonprofit, so i shouldn't say that. you're Did donating you a money a dollar to amazon. the cause we will get to amazon because we will get i don't even know if we get two cents for a we just get cent, better rankings we're just buying your vote what we're asking you to do is help us get another little bump to the sales of our book it's three and a half years old this is kind of like the swan song give us another little bump Help us, and then when we write the next book, which is coming soon, um, not like in the next few months, but it's good. <laughs> I got ideas. It's coming. Um, it'll help us uh, with a publishing contract if our book sales are great from our first book. It's a whole. It's a publishing game, you know. It's a numbers. If you game. want to know more, ask a question about it. Listener question, Matt. It's over and shame. Matt, tell me about the the publish the publishing game, and maybe we can answer that and tell you all the little things we've learned. But for now, look, I won't bore you with any more details. Even if you've read it, even if you've, you know, bought a signed hard copy from us, which, you know, you made a big donation to our nonprofit to buy that sign, to, to get that as a thank you gift, and you've done everything we could ask, um, still, just, hey, you got, like, go through the cushions of your couch and find a dollar's worth of coin, and... <laughs> you Oh, you need to just stop. You're sounding Get on really kind of pathetic, like buy a, a telephone. $1 book and then ask everyone you know to buy a $1 book. We won't make any money off of that. It's not a profit thing. It's helping our stats so that we can do better publishing our second book. Thank you very much in advance for all of your support. We love you. Uh, okay, so Sherry, if you have a persistent cough or you have a rash that is unidentified, Unidentifiable. WebMD isn't cutting it for you. You don't know what to do. Do you go to your sister or your, or your brother for help identifying the rash or with the cough? Uh, probably not. What do you, unless where, they're an MD. Where do you go? Well, you would go to an expert. Like a doctor? Like a dermatologist or a doctor. Of, yes, a doctor. Excellent. But you might want to... See if you can just skip ahead to the dermatologist. Oh, before and rather than get the referral, the and then you got to pay the yeah. GP. And, oh, can you yeah. tell we've been self-insured for yeah 
20 years. Who needs all that BS? No referrals. Just yeah. Can you just get me to the guy? Just get me to the guy. Happy insurance. Just the number one. Yeah. So, but yeah, but you'd go to the doctor. Yeah. Yeah. You know, cough still there for a week, 10 days, whatever. Won't go away. You go to the doctor. Most people do that. Yeah. Yeah. Go to the doctor. Um, If you needed to move and you were going to sell a house and buy another house and you were like, you know what? My parents have... Bold and sought, bold and sought, sold and bought a few houses over their years. Um, I'm just going to ask my parents to help me to be the real real estate estate transactions. Would you do that? No, no, you wouldn't. You would get what? Uh, You would get an expert, a professional, a real estate. In fact, I think yes. I think uh, some of the commercials say you have to ask for a real tour. That's some kind of designation. Don't just don't just trust any old. Get a real real tour. I don't know. Whatever. I know nothing. Um, but you'd get a professional. Yeah. So why, Sherry, why, why do people who are dealing with alcoholism in their family, the disease of alcoholism, pretty highly, almost universally regarded as a disease now, the disease of addiction, uh, so not just a moral failing or a, you know, a embedded splinter like a real thing a disease so why when dealing with the disease of alcoholism do we expect our family to be the kind of one and only support system to solve all our problems for us Mm. doesn't make any sense does it does not and i'm not even just talking about from the perspective of the drinker the loved ones they deal with the associated trauma of alcoholism that Results in physical ailments, uh, mental issues, uh, nervous system issues, right? Yes. And um, the idea that our families play a big role. Now, if you had cancer, you would go to the doctor and you would also ask your family and your friend group to pray for you if you were a praying type and maybe to bring some food over to the house, maybe come sit with you and comfort you. But they wouldn't be your primary care provider. Yeah. So the idea that we rely so heavily on our families, and I think it's got to go back to the shame and stigma, don't you? Yeah, I think that there is a piece of that privacy, um, you know, reputation, anonymity, you know, to the outside world. Also, they're supposed to be the people that you turn to for things that you need, you know, for love and support. They may not have all the answers, but, like, when you're dealing with something that's emotionally hard, um, you know, I think that that's who you turn to first, your close friends and family that you trust. Yeah, I guess I guess I've just heard so many stories, and I did it too. I was a culprit. But when we alcoholics turn to our spouses and say... I got to quit drinking. I really need your support. I need you for accountability. I need you to, um, you know, read a bunch of books with me and do a bunch of research. And I need you to help me figure this out as opposed to looking for professional support. Now, listen, if you go to your GP and say, I've got an alcohol use disorder, the GP is not equipped to handle that. So you wouldn't go to your GP to help you sell your house. And you wouldn't go to your realtor to help you deal with an 
a rash that you couldn't identify. Um, so you got to pick the right professional. Obviously, a mental health professional would be a good place to go. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, a peer support group. But I just think we put so much on our families. And we need to remember that if you have suffered from alcoholism, you probably have put your family through a lot. So they've probably got their own recovery. Depending on how close they are to you, whether they live in the same house with you or or not, you know, they, the, the level of recovery, the amount of work that they have to do probably differs. Mm-hmm. But the idea that that that's, that's where you're going to turn for support. I mean, you know, you hear these stories about the, the families doing this intervention and hopefully they've at least got an intervention professional involved. But I just, I think the shame, the stigma, the secrecy, all that stuff that you were talking about, it's, it's a shame. It's a shame that you can't say, listen, I have crossed the line into addiction with a substance that's uh, very widely available and glorified. And I need help. Now, who's the right person to help me? You know, oh, um, you know, my Uncle Rob, you know, he he used to drink and I noticed he doesn't anymore. Maybe he's the one. Mm-hmm. Nothing wrong with having a conversation with Uncle Rob, but I think we have to look for, look outside of that for, for real support. I want to talk a little bit about the difference between peer support and professional support. Part of what, why I want to talk about this is my, um, what do I call it? My I have no idea. It's I, it's a it's an insecurity that I have. Um, imposter imposter syndrome. syndrome. Okay, yeah. Well, I was getting there. And so that's why I like to talk about it a lot. But I actually I'm moving past the imposter syndrome, and I feel like the peer that peer support, you know, it it. I think it's treated as the redheaded stepchild of mental health. But I got to say, the longer we're doing this work and meeting people and engaging with them, I kind of think it's the shit. I kind of think it's in some ways superior. Now, I'm not suggesting everyone drop their therapist and go to an AA meeting. Um, I think you can do both. Mm -hmm. But don't underestimate the importance of the peer support. And here's why. A professional, a therapist, a psychologist, psychologist it would be unprofessional for that person to empathize fully for that person to say oh i hear your story thank you for telling me about your struggles to stop drinking or thank you for telling me about your struggles with uh, nervous system dysregulation because you live with an alcoholic thank you for telling me that let me tell you how that affected my life that would be unprofessional for them to to turn and start to share their story so there's no back and forth i mean Certainly there are therapists and there are psychologists that will say, yes, I've had experiences like that. So so my knowledge, my recommendations come not only from what I learned in school or from my certification, but also from my own personal experience. Mm-hmm. But I don't think they go much deeper than that, do you? I don't think they're like, let me tell you about July 4th, 1989. Yeah, I'm just like going back through some of my sessions I had and he did have a lot of experience. I mean, he was... He was also, you know, open to a point. Yeah. Just to share his lived experiences to not really to prove his professionalism or his insight on this, but just to let me know that he understood from both sides of the street what it was like. I bet that was helpful. And so it was very helpful. And so I think it made the conversations more, it flowed better. He kind of understood what was going on. 
Um, and it seemed to move a lot quicker because I felt like more, uh, I was, I was very trusting of them. Yeah. But I can't imagine like hearing a lot of camaraderie that you, from your therapist yeah. or psychologist. Yeah. You know, I couldn't imagine that camaraderie. That There's a line know. and it's probably a little different for each person. And I, I feel like you share, I feel like the more the person kind of got in the trenches with me and shared some of their struggles. What's that vulnerability? Yeah, exactly. Which that builds would, the trust. Yeah. I would, I would feel like they had more credibility and I would want to stay engaged with them longer. And, or maybe it would show you that maybe there was some, some things that were red flags and you wanted to move away and from that person that's it's, helping you and find somebody else. Depends but, if they were talking about July 4th, 1989, if they were like, yeah, last Thursday, yeah. uh, yeah, that would be that would be more troubling. Yeah, but there is a line I think that, and and it's probably a little bit different for each each person. But um, but the basic, you know, but there is a line. There is a line. There is a place where a professional is going to say, you know, I they they might not say this, but in their mind they're thinking. I've shared all that I'm comfortable sharing Mm -hmm. and I'm here to help you not, this isn't a mutual thing. I'm here to give you advice to be a good listener. And I am a big fan of therapy and therapists and psychologists. And I think it's hugely important and impactful. I'm just going to add also not giving advice, but having you draw you out to your own conclusions. They're trained. They have great techniques. Because oftentimes we do have a lot of the answers within ourselves. It's just a matter of asking the right questions and giving us the confidence to really search because we know ourselves. So something isn't always going to work. There isn't one thing that works for everybody. Absolutely. I love it. The difference between a professional therapy setting like that and peer support is... With peer support, the everybody in the room, everybody in the group is in the thick of it. Everybody has experiences that are similar enough that they all want to be a part of this group together or feel the need to be a part of this group together. And there's learning and there's growing. And, you know, it's not like a, I'm the, the master and you are the pupils kind of a thing. I'm here to teach and you're here to learn. Everyone in the group is there to offer um, some teaching and everyone in the group is there to learn. When we do our our video calls with our Shout Sobriety group and our Echoes of Recovery group and our Marriage Evolution group, I have pages full of notes mm-hmm. from those calls, things that I'm picking up on and learning. And, and you know, sometimes... I hear things in those calls and I actually ask for permission. Hey, can I, can I use that? Can I like, that's profound. And that changes my thinking on things. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, I'll give you an example that just comes to the top of mind because lying wasn't a big part of our story. we, We have shared the details around this. So I'll just give the highlights. I, as a drinker, I never really hid the fact that I was drinking. I definitely tried to keep from you how much I was drinking at times. And I would maybe be walking around with a beer in my hand and I would take a shot of vodka and not have you know that. But I never hid that I was drinking at all. And we meet lots of people 
who, you know, the loved ones suffer from the fact that their their drinking spouse boldface lies to them and says they aren't drinking at all, and they are, they're sneaking it. And those people have taught us that the deceit, the denial, the lying is actually, their words not mine, is actually worse than the addiction itself. And that's a universalism of all the people that we know that have suffered from being lied to by an alcoholic, the lying, the that is the worst part. Mm-hmm. And so that's a great example of something that, you know, I wouldn't know that. I couldn't speak confidently about that, and neither could you, if not for what we have learned in peer support. Yeah. And I'll guarantee you there's a lot of therapists out there that don't know that because that I don't think that level of nuance... Uh, that level of detail is necessarily covered um, in a therapy certification. I don't know. Maybe I've gone too far by saying that. I just think there's a huge advantage in being in a session where you aren't, everyone isn't, everyone else in the room isn't depending on you for the, all the answers. Mm-hmm. We're all here to ask questions. We're all here to give <laughs> answers and just do our best to learn together. I just think there's advantages to it. Mm. So I, I'm getting over my imposter syndrome because I actually think th- that the environment that we are a part of has some pretty serious advantages. And yeah. I think society needs to stop looking at it like the redheaded stepchild of mental health. Well, I know my therapist recommended that I join a, a support group as well as the therapy. So yeah, he was definitely into that. And we've met and lots of therapists and we have therapists in yeah. our groups who who say, oh no, group work is very important. So I don't mean yeah. to make, I don't think the therapists themselves think of it as the redhead stepchild. It's I just, think it's not as, you know, I think it just doesn't have that same level of importance Yeah. when really it is a cornerstone or a pillar of a kind of a healthy um, mental health plan. Yeah. Yeah, I think I think the the kind of dismissal comes from society in general, and probably people who haven't experienced either. I also more so to... than the professionals. I, I want to make that clear because I don't want to insult professionals. Right. I think I think good therapists and good psychologists really really value peer support. Yeah, and I think that maybe some of the reason that support groups haven't you know, kind of seem a little snickered behind their backs behind, you know, is because maybe they've had bad experiences with them or the generalities of the support groups, you know, or the, you know, I know like there could be jokes about like, Oh, you're going to your support group. Oh, you know, like how people kind of talked about like book clubs, you know, now, like now book clubs, say oh I'm in a book club a lot of times people like oh you ladies just sit around and drink wine and you know don't really talk about the book well right so I think that you know a lot of people or especially like the alcoholic spouse who has um a partner who want who is sober and wants to go to a support group so just be like well you're just gonna go there and they're gonna tell you how bad I am yeah you know, you're, they're just going to commiserate with you. And I know on the other end, we've got a lot of people that have partners that are in AA and sometimes they feel like their partner, their alcoholic partners, AA group are just commiserating and talking about how bad the 
sober partner is. Yeah, but and, and in fairness, I think there are support group situations where the support that group happens. earns that bad reputation. Yeah. There are definitely AA meetings where the people in that group prefer to just sit around and tell their rock bottom stories over and over. Mm-hmm. And there are people that have been in groups for 20 years that come once a week for 20 years to tell their rock bottom story because they think that that's going to be a positive influence on people. Mm-hmm. And maybe for some people it is. So just like there are good therapists and bad therapists, I'm sure there, I know there yeah. are good support groups and bad support groups and good and bad is subjective. You got to find the thing that's the right fit for you. If, if hearing rock bottom stories over and over and over and over again, if that keeps you sober and you feel good about it, then who am I to poo 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 that? I know for me, I need a more growth oriented mm-hmm. conversation. I need to be looking to the Looking forward, looking to the future, looking to what, what's next, not mm-hmm. what happened before. Yeah. Yeah. So I think like just generalizing uh, a peer support group, you know, you have to, it just like with a therapist or anything, you have to figure out what works for you and what doesn't work for you or what you're looking for, you know. So educate yourself before you get attached to one. Yeah. Yeah. So you want to try them out. Here's really the um the kind of highlight the cornerstone the this is the mic drop moment for why peer support is so important in when you are in a group with other people who have experienced the same thing you have and everyone in the group is there to learn and grow and there is no grand poobah that's there to tell everyone else what to do it creates a sense of belonging and there's research that i've read that you know in increasing amounts of recent research that talks about the value of belonging in long-term sobriety and in recovery and self-esteem building for the loved ones of alcoholics as well. Belonging means I'm both giving and receiving support. It, it's kind of, it's kind of, it's an, it's important to understand how I'm using that word. It's kind of like you know, empathy, people say, oh, you know, um, I have empathy for this, I have empathy for that. A lot of times what they have is compassion. Empathy is compassion plus experience. So it's really hard to have empathy. Like, I couldn't have empathy for the pain of childbirth. Like, I think that personally, maybe my definition of the word empathy is different than others. Mm-hmm. But I think that would make me sound silly mm-hmm. if I said I have empathy for the pain of childbirth, because obviously I've never given birth to a child. Yeah. Likewise, belonging, I think, is a very special and very specific word. Um, and it it comes, your, your feeling a sense of belonging for a group comes when you're not only getting support from the group, but you're also giving support. And what often happens is when you first reach out and look for for real support other than just asking your mom or your brother, you know, what their ideas are. You actually look for people who uh, have experience in, in the area that you're looking for support. You've often, often waited so long to reach out and ask for support that you're drowning. And at the beginning, you're mostly receiving support, right? Because you are struggling and mm-hmm. you need help. But eventually, if you stick at it long enough, the tide starts to turn and you start to have 
a lot to offer. And you're giving as much as you're receiving. I, I can think of a couple of people in, in our groups, in our Echoes of Recovery and Shout Sobriety group, that they are way into their recovery. And they're doing great. But they keep showing up. And they don't keep showing up to tell their rock bottom story. They keep showing up to offer encouragement to others. And I'm sure that it feels great to get off those video calls and say, you know, here's one or two tidbits I picked up on the receiving end, on the learning end. But I also know that my example helped this person and my encouragement helped this person. And I'm going to be whistling zippity doo out of my butt for the rest of the day because of how good that felt. Do you ever whistle zippity doo dah out of your butt? No, I do not. I um, think it's impossible. Do you ever get a feeling similar to whistling zippity doo dah out of your butt? Like, do you understand what I'm saying? I, I get what you're saying. Um, I, I don't know. Is that on a long sense. list of stupid things I've said that you'd like to not think about anymore? Yeah, yeah, kind of. But I get what you're saying. That I think for a lot of us, like, we don't even really maybe pay attention or recognize like we don't get off oh I know that I just you know made this really great hopeful comment to this person or you know I think that it just it's something that happens within so you don't really understand or know why you feel that way I don't think it's as as conscientious as you're thinking Uh, I think you're probably right I think it's just an internal and I think it's because that's how kind of as humans we're supposed to be. Yeah. So you're kind of like living the living the example. Um, but you're right. We do have a lot of people that are, that we have on our calls that just offer so much, even though they're maybe so much further along. And it's not because we just want to glom onto the advice, but also they can bring a different perspective or bring something in to the conversation that, doesn't necessarily pertain only to the recovery because sometimes we get bogged down in recovery. And you and I have had this conversation on the podcast and with our groups, how we at one point said, I was like, I I can't have a serious conversation every week, you know? So it's like they can like read the room and, and add levity or bring something that they're doing that shows that there is life outside of recovery. And that not everything you're doing is only to recover, um, you know, the relationship or try to push the alcoholic to a certain way. But it can be like, and so I keep growing and learning and exploring and doing these things because I know that it's good for me. And it's a good reminder that the recovery work that we do is also for our self-esteem and our self-worth and our self-value. Just as much as it is you hope for the kids and the partner and the rest of the family. Well said. Like an example of that is they could be like, I was taking a walk the other day and I just started whistling zippity doo out of my butt. Mm. Don't you wish, you know, don't you look forward to the day when you get there? <laughs> but it is the positive experiences that aren't all about alcohol and recovery. Yeah, They're yeah. super helpful to hear. Yeah, because it's very, it's a very overwhelming and hard kind of a cross to bear day in and day out. And you want to have some glimmer of hope that there's other things out there. 
And then you're just not going to be so like, ah, oh, finally, they've stopped drinking, we're recovering, we're three years in, now we're done. Yeah, there's no finish line. Yeah, because uh, I think they also make us, they re, you know, those kind of people make us re- excited to keep learning. And if you're in a good peer support group where there are people that are curious. Yeah. You know. Absolutely. It kind of keeps you curious. Keeps you motivated. I know, I, and motivated. I know I can be a little bit more on the, mm, we're good now, I'm done sort of person. That's usually when we get in trouble. Yeah. Yeah, gotta keep gotta keep moving forward. Without just digging up all the like, you know, I don't go back to the past very often anymore. If we need to, we can. That's part of healthy resentment processing. But we don't spend a lot of time there. But we also don't lose sight of the fact that the relationship needs constant attention. Mm-hmm. It does. And that can yeah. be really positive. And, and that's good. with or without a substance. Absolutely. And, or addiction of any sort. And that Absolutely. doesn't have to be a substance. So, Because people are changing and growing and evolving, hopefully, just in a normal relationship. We were talking about this concept of belonging in one of our groups uh, just recently. And we kind of jokingly challenged our uh, the folks in the group that the next time you go to your therapy appointment, you should get out your notebook and your pen and you should start asking your therapist questions and, um, you know, see what they would like to share with you. Because then you're offering them support and then you can feel that that sense of belonging. Hard, hard to get in a therapy session. There's lots of good things, really good things. Especially some of the advancements in therapy techniques that I am not qualified to talk about. But some of but the I'm things... But I'm going to do it anyhow. I'm not going to. Okay. I am not going to because okay. I can't even... The only reason I'm not going to is because I can't remember all the initials, <laughs> all the letters. But EMDR is an example, but, but there's a lot of really good stuff going on. So mm-hmm. that combination of therapy, you know, open-minded therapy, therapy with an eye for what the, what the science, the emerging science is telling us is effective, that and a support group with a positive outlook where you can find that sense of belonging that's the way to go mm-hmm. so let's bring this back to the family mm. christmas is a family day and that's why i thought this would be a good topic for today um another reason besides the fact that they're probably not adequately prepared to be your support system or to be your um you know, the thing that you rely on for sound, uh, science-based and experience-based advice. Besides the fact that your family's not probably, you know, the the go-to for that, the other reason um, that your your family um, might not be the number one go-to place for you to go uh, for support is they serve a different purpose. And when we cloud that, when we lean on our family to do things that they're not good at, it makes relationships harder. Uh, It wounds, it, it injures relationships. And that can have a lasting impact. And I know... 
that that's something that to to an extent that you and I have experienced. Um, and so for a long time, I got frustrated because I found that in peer support, I was getting closer to people and even not even just recovery peer support. I also like am active in some writing groups where recovery is not the topic, but we all in these groups, we write very vulnerably and share, share our deepest and darkest with these people. And I found that I was getting closer to people in our peer support groups and in these writing groups than I was to lots of members of my family. And it made me feel bad. Made me feel guilty. Like, why am I willing to tell these people things that I'm not willing to tell my own family? Mm -hmm. And like, I wanted, I wanted the family to serve all the purposes. And one of the things that we've learned, we've definitely learned this about relationships. We have to, to have a healthy relationship, we, a romantic marriage relationship, we have to be able to go out and get some of our needs met elsewhere. Now, I know if you, if you say that, immediately it pops into people's head, oh, you mean you go get sex elsewhere? No, that's not what I mean at all. That's, I mean, and maybe that's just me, you know listening to too much too many stand-up comedians or something. Mm-hmm. But that's immediately when I hear, oh, I'm going to go get my needs met elsewhere, I immediately yeah. think of sex. Yeah. Do you immediately think of sex? Yeah, I think because it's been a, I don't know, uh, you know, something you use in place of the word sex. Yeah. I don't know. I'm trying to think of what you call that. It's not really an idiom, but um, yeah. Euthanism or something. I don't know. But anyhow, so it's something that Like a people, way to shy away from the exact, yeah. like, we in front of the kids, we can say, "Oh, he went and got his needs met elsewhere." Well, I don't know. Instead of saying, <laughs> "You do it just he like went that." And got a blow but... job elsewhere. <laughs> yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. I suppose maybe not in front of the kids even. But anyhow, I think it's just a, a avoidance of saying, you know, sexual needs. Yeah, yeah. But that's not what we're talking about. No. We, you know, we, you and I both, I think are now very good at this and used to be god-awful at it. But we're now very good at going out and filling our own bucket of self-esteem by having contact and interactions with people that make us feel good about ourselves. And coming back and not glomming onto each other and expecting each other to fill our self-esteem buckets. Because that is a recipe for disaster. Mm -hmm. And so you can take that concept and extend it beyond the romantic relationship to the rest of the family and say... Why is it that I want to take, you know, let's let's take a stereotypical um, baby boomer grandfather. So someone who would be our parent, our parents' age. So in their 70s, yeah. 80s. Let's 80s. take that stereotypical okay. 70-year-old person, man, who uh, worked real hard, raised his family is retired now, I'm going to go lean on that person for emotional support because of alcoholism and recovery? Are you freaking nuts? Stereotypically speaking, that's the least qualified and capable person, you know, on the planet to, to, to have that conversation with. So, right? Am I right? Yeah. Am I right or am I right? Like, am I right? Yeah. Demographically, yes. Yeah. So 
we just we put so much on family and then when family can't come through for us we get disappointed and until recently i i felt that way and it's been it has been an epiphany it has been really enlightening and kind of revolutionary for me i've i have battled what is my relationship with my family supposed to look like and i want to find a way to get it to the point where I can have the same conversations that I can have with my peer support group and the same conversations that I can have with my writing group. I can reach that level of vulnerability and honesty with my parents, with my sister, with your mom, with your sister. Like that's some kind of idyllic thing. And it's just never going to happen. And so I spent a lot of years being frustrated by that and disappointed by that and wishing that those people who I'm bonded to biologically could be as close to me emotionally as these other people that I'm not, these people that I see on Zoom screens, Mm -hmm. right? Yeah. But I'm here to say that fairy tale is not only unrealistic, it's not even important. Like, I feel so much better now when I think of the relationship that I do have with my family and just value it for what it is. We get together on a summer vacation every year and we have a lot of laughs. And then we go away and we talk on the phone once every couple of weeks. And my sister and I text once a month, kind of at the most. So it's been, what you're saying is, has it been sort of a relief? Yeah, 100%. But one of the things that you and I ask about when we first meet people who are dealing with alcoholism and and working on recovery, we ask about the support of family. And many, many, many times the response is pretty disappointing, even for people that have alcoholism in their family. And so theoretically, their family knows the disease and should have a lot to offer and and. It's very rare that we hear, yeah, this person's not only in my corner, but they have so much good advice to give. And I turn to them every time I've got an issue and they don't make me feel bad about my decision to stay in the relationship. That's a big one, right? Um, It's very rare that we hear glowing reports about the family support system. So the point of all of this, this 50-minute conversation is, why are we relying on the family to support us in that way? That's that's perhaps that's not their role. And I would argue it's not. If I mean there are things there are things that I can think of that my family would absolutely come to the rescue if I needed them. Mm-hmm. And they tried. They tried when I was in active addiction and you called and asked them for help, they tried. They tried. And but they, they also got, you gaslit them. Yeah. You th- almost you threatened them in yep. some ways. Like, yep. keep pushing and we won't see you again. Yeah. So they were back to the corner. Um, and so then to just sweep it under the rug yep. and let you make the decisions was the best way to maintain a familial relationship with them based on yes. your um, threats and comments. But also... Their experiential expertise was limited and their emotional capacity to deal with the situation was also limited. Mm -hmm. And so 
a lot was asked of them and they tried and I'm very thankful for that Mm -hmm. and I'm no longer frustrated that they weren't experts because they're not realtors and they're not doctors and they're not mental health professionals and they're not addiction experts and so why on earth do we put these um, roles onto our family members that they that we have no right to put on them that makes sense. They're just humans too. They're just trying to get by. Well, I, if, I, my dad's a chemical engineer. If I wanted to know, I don't know what chemical engineers yeah, do. Say, if what, I wanted to know stop? about chemical engineering, he'd be the go-to, right? Yeah. Well, and I was just going to say, like, you, you know, I think that asking first, but then not holding a grudge or being disappointed or frustrated that they can't give you the answers and support you need, you you can find it a relief that they aren't there to be that part for you. They can't fill that role that you're looking for that a professional and a peer group can. So it, I would, you know, because you said, well, I don't remember what your last statement was before. We were trying to say something about being a chemical engineer, but it was like... Why know, do we put that on them? why we put that on them. I mean, I think you go to it first because you will, you will ultimately... Yeah, I didn't know this was going on. I wish you would have talked to me about this. Yeah, that'll happen. So, maybe you bring it up, but you don't divulge all the... You know, you kind of like drip and drive and see where it unfolds. Because withholding from your immediate family or close family members, or family members who might have an experience, they might feel a little put off that you didn't even reach out to them. But But I wonder if you can say, that's just not your role. That's, yeah, that's well, not that's what, what I, I need this relationship for. Yeah, exactly. That's what I was going to say was to to understand for yourself, which will take a bit, but to also be able to be brave enough to say that's not your role. And this is, if you want to support me, this is what I, you can help me with. Because, you know, everybody thinks that when you're talking to them about an issue, that you're wanting them to solve your problem or give you an answer. Sometimes we just need to talk. But that's where you can get that with the peer support. But also, if you're not overdoing it with the family, you can share a little bit or just say, oh, I just, can you, like, come and help with the kids today? You know, no questions asked, please, just if you really want to support. Let me ask you this. We have shared on the podcast <laughs> that your, both your mother and your sister, the, the two family members that you're closest with, they have both experienced multiple divorces. And so when you did confide in them about my active alcoholism you did get advice that you know that you should divorce me basically i mean not every time not every there but there were times because it had been belabored at some points and there had been like ongoing issues that i kept sharing and sharing and sharing and you know so there was at times like you know can you tell him to stop or you're going to divorce him or can you tell him to stop or you're going to leave or can you come here or can you leave and you know and then it did become well do you think that maybe a divorce is you know the best thing i wouldn't say it was right out of the gate but it was but, after many many episodes of me calling them yeah but so but it the, was one the question i'm i'm wondering about is so i feel this relief and this kind of epiphany about um 
the role of family. Have you had any frustration with your family for the advice they gave you? And do you feel, I don't know, do you feel any relief from the, the idea that that's just not their job? And, and uh, I look to them for other things. Yeah, I feel like I didn't always, just because they gave me advice didn't mean I had to take it. So I wasn't feeling so weak, like, oh, I'm just going to take whatever they offer. Right. Um, I don't feel like any resentment or any frustration or disappointment. Have um, you ever or have you never? I mean, sometimes it would hurt and sting. And then I would say, I just don't think that's what I need right now. Um, you know, like, for example, like maybe you should divorce him or he's controlling. And, you know, like that was one of the comments. I'm like, well, he's not really that controlling. It's just, you know, it's the, I can tell that he's just stressed. And Did so, you ever feel that what I but, described as I, I can pour out my heart to these people on these Zoom screens and feel so close to them and I don't feel that same thing with my family. Did that ever bring you any, you know, sadness? Um, that I don't, yeah, I don't have the type of relationship with them the way I do with people on the screens. I think that. I don't know. I think that there's a big difference between your relationship with your side of the family and me with mine. We're just a little more closer and have always been more open and honest and vulnerable. Um, So I kind of feel weird. Like Sometimes it's hard and I want to have that kind of relationship, but sometimes I don't because it's nice to have... And it's not like I want to have any anonymity from my family. Or autonomy, I guess. Um, but I don't know if I would want to have my family members know all the stuff that I've said on the calls. Yeah. And it's not necessarily because of shame or pride or ego. It's just I don't want it to hurt them. So you are close. So to- I want to protect them a little bit from some of the information that I have divulged with people on our in our groups. I think you're just generally more mature about this than I am because you were close with people on zoom screens in person in ways that you're that are different from the ways you're close with your family and I think you're just generally more have always been more comfortable with that and don't look at it like it's a deficiency because you haven't got that same level of um, honesty about those certain topics Mm -hmm. that with your family that you have with other people. And maybe it was just because that's who I was like growing up. Like I had different, and I wouldn't say different categories of friends like, Oh, you're my best friend and you're my okay friend. You know, I had different friends that had different interests and different shared experiences with that. I could like say, well, this is a piece of me that really goes well with this group. And this is a piece of me that goes really well with that group. Yeah. So it's not like I'm, so I guess from, from my side of the family, Sometimes there is some hurt. And there are times when I look back and I think, gosh, I wish that my sister and I had been closer during some very challenging times of her life. Well, And it, I wish I could have been more supportive. But then I'm like, I don't know. I, I'm many states away. I don't know how much support I could have given. And she had some really great friends. and Yeah. Yeah. Well, like we said, Christmas is such a family time. If you're interacting with family... And it's not going the way you had planned or the way you had hoped. And you don't have that level of closeness. Um, 
maybe, maybe you can find some just comfort in celebrating the relationship with your family for what it is and know that you get your needs met with other people in different ways. Yeah, sometimes we just have to take a step back and appreciate the relationship and them being themselves too because oftentimes we're disappointed when we don't get what we want out of a relationship because we have higher expectations on somebody that maybe they just can't give. And don't forget that you can't make the corn grow faster. Before you go, we hope you'll consider these three resources. If you love or loved an alcoholic, we offer support and connection in our Echoes of Recovery group. Check us out at echoesofrecovery.org. If you are a high-functioning alcoholic seeking methods and connection in early sobriety, we're ready for you at shoutsobriety.org. No matter who you are, there's something for you in our book, Sober Evolution, Evolve into Sobriety and Recover Your Alcoholic Marriage. Go to soberevolution.org. For my wife, Sherry Salis, I'm Matt Salis. Thanks for listening to the Untoxicated Podcast.